Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. Stand to your feet. You're awesome people. I love you very, very much. I'm going to go right into the word of the Lord today. I'm, I'm preaching, uh, I'm preaching a, a message today that I think is extremely important to grasp and get a hold of as you go into the Christmas season. And I'm, I'm speaking on this subject today. God does not do perfect. Say it with me. God does not do perfect. He really, really doesn't. I've got my watch here. I'm going to set my timer and I'm going to start preaching because it's time to preach the gospel. I love you. Thank you, praise singers. Thank you, guests, everyone that's here today. I have a word to speak to you today. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. And you may be seated in the name of the Lord. You ever wanted to give God suggestions about how he ought to do things? Anybody? Some simple things like the food we eat. Why not put all the vitamins and minerals in the tasty food like bluebell? And save all the fat and cholesterol for spinach and liver and Brussels sprouts. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Or perhaps God could do a little bit better job distributing the weather. Some places there's so much rain it causes flooding. Meanwhile, other places in the world are experiencing drought. And why not let the good guys be the winners in sports most of the time? Particularly the horns, (laughs) the cowboys, the Texans, or I'll go ahead and say it, you Aggies, the Aggies. Oh, God. That hurt. Just a couple more things. If he would just reveal himself a little more clearly, it'd be so much easier in our life. I know the Bible says his ways are not our ways. They're hard to predict. But some of us start off having a good day and thinking to ourselves, well, God sure is smiling on me today. I must be doing his will. Then before you can turn around, our day is fouled up and we think, well, we'll never find our way out of this situation. Where are you, Lord? I need you right now. God could also use some advice, I think, about the kind of people he calls to do his work. <laughs> I'd like to help him. On the, I'd like to be on his board to help him with that. He seems to have this thing about calling very imperfect people. My, Abraham was so imperfect, he tried to pass off his wife as his sister, not once but twice. That's wimpy. Abraham could have made wimpy commercials. That's wimpy. Moses was imperfect. He once killed a man, hit him in the sand. (laughs) Didn't even put him in a casket. There was Samson. Look how easily he let a woman lead him astray. And then there was David, an adulterer, a murderer. Surely God could have done better than that. And then Jonah. Jonah, he was fleeing from God because he hated the people that God wanted him to go preach to in Nineveh. He hated them. He said, I'm not going to go preach to those people. They're crazy. For that matter, I might might not have chosen Simon Peter. Yeah, he ended up a rock. Yeah. But before that, he was fickled as a willow reed. And James and John, they were always jockeying for a place of preeminence and prominence. I would have even had difficulty with the Apostle Paul. And some of you would too. Don't get quiet on me. (laughs) Have you ever read Paul's writings? You think he caused havoc in the church before he was saved. He's caused some havoc in the church for the last 2,000 years after he got saved. Some of his writings, God... Maybe should have consulted us before he made his selections. But the most common response from the people that God called was simply this. Who, me? You want me to do that? Me? 
you got to be kidding, God. I'm not prepared. I'm, I'm not the man that you need me to be. I'm not the woman you need me to be. But I want God to understand that if he had us on his team, he might have picked some better people in his life. See, it's almost the surest way to God, though, to get turned down when you're super qualified. When you're super qualified, God said, oh, I'll just, I'll just use this old boy over here because you're too qualified for what I need you to do. Can you imagine a church board interviewing Amos, the prophet in the Old Testament? You ever read Amos? You ever read about him? He's got nine chapters in his book, and he's quite a man. Now, Mr. Amos, let's have a look at your credentials. And Amos said, credentials? Credentials? Yeah, your credentials. Where did you go to school? What major theologian has, has influenced your thinking? Where did you first get ordained? Theologian? You saying theologian? What kind of word is that? Ordained? What kind of word is that? Well, you see, I'm a shepherd by background. And I really haven't had much formal training. I did work for a while dressing sycamore trees, if that counts anything at all. Theology? Not any person has influenced my thinking. But I have seen people cheated in the marketplace. And I have seen widows thrown out of their homes. And I have seen children sold for a pair of shoes, and God told me that wasn't right. And God has called me to confront the injustices in society and proclaim his righteousness. Sycamore trees, really, that's, your, that's, your, that's what you have in your past? Sycamore tree dresser, that's what you did? Righteousness, really? Mr. Amos, we're really looking for someone with a doctorate. We'd prefer a minister that is not so confrontational. Poor Amos, he wouldn't have made it past the first interview. You understand what I'm saying? Imperfect. God does not do perfect. He just doesn't. Ugly. If you're a sports fan of some sort, you made statements one or two times in your life. Well, that was an ugly win. That was ugly. That was the ugliest game. Cowboys Thursday night. That was ugly. <laughs> I knew I'd catch some of you now. You're waking up. That was ugly. But somehow we won. Not much happening. That was positive. But in the end, the clock ran out. And somehow your team won. I read about a man who was walking through a park and passed a massive oak tree. And a vine had grown around the trunk of that tree. And the vine started small, but nothing to bother about. But over the years, the vine had gotten taller. And by the time the man walked through that park, the entire lower half of that tree was covered with what they call vine creepers. Now the tree was in danger and this huge solid oak was quite literally being taken over and the life was being squeezed out of it. But the gardeners in the park had seen the danger and they had taken, they had taken their effort and taken a saw and severed the trunk of the vine, one neat cut across the middle. And the tangled mass of the vine's branches still clung to the oak, but the vine was now dead. That would gradually become plain as weeks passed and the creepers began to die and fall away from the tree. It may still be ugly. It may not be pretty, but the fact of the matter was when the man saw the oak tree, it was still alive. Imperfect, not pretty, but alive. Sin, which begins so small and seemingly insignificant, grows until it has a strangling grip on our life. And we're all messed up people. I don't care who your name is, regardless of which side of the cross we're on. No matter how ugly your story is. And there's a lot of ugly stories in this house and perfect stories here today. I love that. I love that because I can preach to people that have those kind of lives. The problem is quite often there may be room at the cross, but there's not room at the church for those people who come carrying messy life baggages in their hearts. But I would like to say that will not be the case at Christian Life Church. We're creating a culture here 
And this whole Christmas season, we're going to keep creating it. Come as you are, culture. We believe that God can take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. It doesn't matter what hole you came out of. It doesn't matter what rock you climbed out of or out up from under. I'm telling you, there's a God in this house that can take the ugly and make it beautiful in your life. You hear me? I'm, I'm a little sick of people feeling like they, they have to pretend when they come to church. I want people to take off the mask and let's be authentic and say, Pastor, I've got an issue. I had a man walk up to me today on the front porch and said, Pastor, tomorrow is my 10-year anniversary. And I thought he was talking about a marriage. He said, I've been sober 10 years tomorrow. I like to preach to those kind of people. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to introduce, I want to introduce four women today, imperfect women, society failures, scourges to the social order of the day, women that religious people, when seeing them, might walk on the other side of the road and not want to go in front of them. There are four women that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't heard of. The first woman is in Genesis 38. Her story is a story of deception and incest. Her name is Tamar. He's got the Bible going right there on me right now. I love you, Brother Glass. Her headlines, Judah was her father-in-law. She was his Gentile daughter-in-law. Tamar had a husband named Ur who died leaving her childless. And when a woman was childless in the Old Testament, she was literally cursed. And according to the custom, her husband's brother was to take her as her own and give her children. But the other son of Judah named Onan refused to go into her and give her children. There's more to the story, but essentially, she determined that she would deceive Judah, her father-in-law, into being her husband. So she disguised herself. It worked. She seduced Judah, her father-in-law, and conceived. She had an affair with her own father-in-law and conceived and bore twin boys. Tamar was a deceiver. She was determined to make it, and even if it meant lying to do so, she used this phraseology, I will not be left alone. I will not be a barren woman. I must belong. I will belong. I trust God with my future? No. I'm going to make it. If, if it, I have to do it my own way, I'm going to do it my own way. People here, many of you relate to that philosophy. Those you've trusted, you have hurt. You've been a victim of circumstance and decisions of others. And you have hard time trusting God. So rather than trust, you fight and you claw tooth and nail to get to where you need to go, even if it means deception. And that's the story of Tamar. The second woman I introduce is another woman named Rahab, another Gentile. She's a woman who constantly had to deal with her past. She's referred to ten times in the scripture and all but three references she's referred to by her name and then her past. She's called Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot. Her slogan, I could get to where I'm going if I could get over where I've been. That's her slogan. I could get to where I need to go if I get over where I've been. Here's the church slogan for you. Let me just put one in front of you. Where you don't have a past in this place, only a future. Hallelujah. I love that. Just thought I'd throw that out. In an ideal world, that would be incredible. But the fact is we have an enemy Two that goes by many names. And one is the accuser of the brethren. And that's what he does day and night. He stands before the throne of God. And he accuses you for what you have done and the choices you have made. And he loves to remind people about their past. Rahab was born outside any chance of redemption. 
She lived in Jericho among a people who were going to experience judgment and the walls were going to fall down and Israel was going to conquer that city. But she was a Gentile and a prostitute who lived in that city and even though it was going to fall flat, her house was on the side of that wall. I'd like to tell you because she took in two spies and heard what they said and put a red cord out her window. When the walls fell, her house did not fall. It stayed on top of the wall. Because her life fits Ephesians 2. Remember that at a time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you are once who were far away have been brought near to the blood of Jesus Christ. Clap your hands to that. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Many people, many people have Jesus on the throne of your lives today. Yet you have many regrets about your yesterday. You know that. Your origin in sin and past experiences sometimes affects what God can do to change how yesterday will affect your future. Some of us can't get out of our past even to get into a present even though we know that God has forgiven us. The Lord can restore anyone. Would you say amen to that? He can. And the third woman that comes to my mind is a woman named Ruth. Tamar was a deceiver. Rahab had a past. And Ruth was an outsider. She just didn't belong. She lived in a land where there was human sacrifices. She didn't know anything about this God of Israel. I can stand here and tell you knowing I'm completely right. There's so many people who just can't seem to fit in. Where do I belong, Pastor? Ruth was a Gentile also who was impoverished when her husband, a Jew, had died and left her without connection to an inheritance. She was outside any possibility of relationship with God. And now without a husband, she was really left outside. She lives in a strange land in Moab with strange people, with strange cultures, and she's all alone. Loneliness has got to be one of the greatest battles that people face today, especially during the Christmas season. Men and women both face it today. Men may be easier programmed and easier to pacify. Women might be a little bit more complex. I'm not, I'm not picking on you ladies. Not, not quite as easily understood and not as easy pacified. You know, all a man needs for company is an ice cold glass of tea and a remote. That's all we need. You know that, especially during this time. Somebody walked in, they said, I OD'd on football yesterday. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. The wife is saying, we ought to go out more. We need to make friends. I'd like to do something. Men can huddle in a parking lot or around a water fountain, anywhere else, and exchange deer stories and sports trivia and such. But meanwhile, the wife is watching the children gathering all the scattered toys and barely keeping a train of thought. In the last couple of years, I've had men and women come to me and say, Pastor, my wife, or the wife would say, I just don't have any close friends. The depth of her conversation has really been with two-year-olds, and I'm outside wanting to be inside. I'd like to belong, Pastor. I'd like to belong. It drove Ruth to look at her mother-in-law one day and said, Don't urge me to leave you when you leave this country or turn back from you. For where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And where you die, that's where I'm going to die, and that's where I'm going to be buried. I want to be a part of something more than what I am right now. And we fight that in our life. The fourth woman that I bring to you is a woman named Bathsheba. Yeah. She had been the wife of Uriah, a soldier. Married to Uriah. She was seduced and had an affair with King David. Her husband is gone to battle. And she's at home with another man. She's enthralled. She's overwhelmed with the palace, the throne, and the, and the attention of such a powerful human being. A man really sensitive and keen with words, David was. 
So an illicit relationship begins. And in that illicit relationship, a child is conceived. And what is interesting is nothing is said of Bathsheba's thoughts or her words. David becomes a central figure even with Nathan. Bathsheba's never brought back in the story. But they had to have conversation like, what now? How foolish. What were we thinking? How do we get out of this? How do we make this work? Long story short, David has Uriah, her husband, killed in battle. Now everyone will just assume that this is his child and David takes Bathsheba as his wife and no one will be the wiser. But the Bible said the thing David had done displeased the Lord. I want to say this real quick. You can't sin and get by. God's going God's to always knock on your door. God's going to always be there. A pastor don't have to stand up and say it. God's going to be that voice in your life and say, no, 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 you can't do this. You're going to have to turn your way back to me. Oh, the insanity of sin. Oh, the chaos and suffocating feeling of trying to finagle out of things, feeling so out of place, like a fifth wheel in every aspect of life, longing to have just more intimate relationship with another person, making foolish decisions, allowing the subtlety of sin to work its way into your life. Like the serpent who beguiled Eve, so the glitz and the glamour of the palace beguiled Bathsheba. And we have such a mess. Once again, I remind you, God does not do perfect But now I introduce you a fifth woman. I said four, but let me introduce you a fifth woman. Her name is Mary. We speak about Mary finding favor in the eyes of the Lord and praise her for that virtue. But the fact is, no one else had been around when she had her hour of visitation from God. And no one else witnessed the Holy Spirit overshadowing her. And impregnating her with the Christ child. All society knew was this teenage 14-year-old girl is engaged to this old man to be married. And she's turned up pregnant. That's all the society wanted to talk about. It would be 30 years and 9 months, folks, before she was ever vindicated. 31 years later when Jesus went into his ministry... He came to a wedding at Cana of Galilee. 31 years of waiting to see the promise come to pass. But in Luke chapter 1, it's on the screen, said, You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. I wonder how many people are within the sound of my voice. And you are carrying within you, even though you've done all the right things in life, you're carrying within you some unfulfilled promise. You know that you know what you know. You heard from God. You received a promise from God. But how to describe to someone who wasn't there what really happened, you can't do it. Just as Joseph couldn't understand Mary's experience until he had his own, others just don't get what you're going through. You've watched your promise as it began to crawl. You've watched your promise as it began to toddle and take on its own personality. But in fact, but the fact is that what you were seeing isn't the same thing as it what you were promised. Mary and Jesus attended a wedding and she knew this could be the moment and it had been over 30 years and yet the promise turned to her and says, my hour hasn't come yet. Not yet. I've been bearing the pain of this for 31 years. Not yet. You're going to tell me not yet? 
How many women are here today and you're waiting for a fulfillment of a promise? How many men are in this building today and you're waiting for a fulfillment of the promise? There's nothing more frustrating than an unfulfilled promise. I'm saying, you know, it's almost there. I can almost taste it. I can almost touch it. I can almost feel it. God's got something great for my life. God's got another plane for me to walk on. God's got another area for me to live in. God's got something greater for me. God's got something more awesome than I've ever experienced in my life. And I'm here, and it's been a while, Pastor, but Mary waited 31 years. Tamar, the woman who's so anxious about tomorrow and just can't give up and let God take over. Rahab. The woman whose past has taken a life of its own as she runs out into it almost daily, every day. Ruth, the woman who's so hungry with, to fit in and belong, but she seems she's just an outsider. And Bathsheba, the woman who is so shocked and disgusted with herself in the depths that she has plunged in her own life. And Mary, yeah, Mary, the one with the promise yet to be fulfilled. My wife has a book at the house. Dr. Laura wrote it called Ten Things That Women Do to Mess Up Their Lives. I have just listed five of them. But then I picked up another book. I picked up another book. I picked up the Bible. And the Bible is, after all, the oldest book ever written whose author is still alive. And 2 Timothy 3 says, all scripture, hallelujah, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that a man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then, and then I went to the first book of the New Testament. The first chapter of the first book of the New Testament. And the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament. And the Lord speaks through Matthew and he says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Phares and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And I put beside my notes here, prostitute, deceiver. Phares, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. The madam. Mm. The best little in Jericho. And Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. The Moabitess priestess, a human sacrifice to idols. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Bathsheba, affair with the king, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, and the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born in his call the Christ. Paul Harvey might have thought he created the rest of the story. <sighs> but boy, he ain't never seen a story like this one. Because here is Imperfect women, imperfect people to the nth degree, out of all the Bible, 
out of all the women God could have qualified for the lineage of Christ today, I shared with you the five that he chose. The genealogy of Jesus shows how the Bible is an anthology of human experiences and of God's redemptive acts. These five women are specifically mentioned as matriarchs in the lineage of Jesus Christ. That may not affect you right now because you probably was judging those women when I was talking about them. But it's not easy to understand what these women went through and God said, I love you so much. See, I don't do perfect. I just don't do perfect. But I tell you what I do, I do pretty. I do pretty. I do pretty. I can take the imperfect I can take people that are staggering. I can take people that are stumbling in 2016. I can take people that don't have a future. I can take people that are down and out. I can take people that staggered into church this morning, crawled out of bed with a little hangover. I can take those kind of people and I can put you in a lineage. I can put you in a place where I can change you and make you something awesome. Hallelujah. There's a purpose for all of this. God in his infinite wisdom, he is author, he is finisher. He specifically chose to put these women in a lineage of his son, a deceiver who fears tomorrow, a woman with a lurid past, an outsider who desperately wants to belong, and a housewife who really blew it, and a woman with an unfulfilled promise. Five women, and then a baby. Three of them Gentiles, and then a baby. Four of them losers, and then a baby. People without hope, and then a baby. I will tell you what I will do when I get to heaven. I'm going to find every one of them. And I'm going to walk up to them and say, on December the 4th, 2016, I preached about you. And when I first preached about you, I didn't like you. Then when I found the scripture that you were in the lineage, I fell in love with you. And here's what I want to tell everybody. And you tell everybody out there that there's no sin too great that God can't heal. And there's no person too far away that God can't reach. And there's no mountain too high that God can't climb and find you. And there's no chasm too deep that he can't come down and rescue you. Because I'm telling you, after these five women came this baby. And this baby came to seek and to save that which was lost. Woo. Now I'm going to get a little goofy. But I read the story of Rapunzel. Rapunzel was a beautiful girl, had long hair. In fact, that's how the boyfriend climbed and got to her. But she was, she was in a house with a wicked witch. And that wicked witch did two things to her. Number one, took away her mirror so she couldn't see how beautiful she was. And number two, told her, Look at me, because you look just like I look. 
What hell wants to do this Christmas season is to take God's word, his mirror, from in front of your face to show you how much he loves you and how much he gave to save you and to tell you how pretty you really are. You're pretty in God's sight. He doesn't do perfect, but he sure does pretty. Amen. The Bible said he beautifies the meek with salvation. And the second thing hell wants to do is to say, look at me. This is all you'll ever be. This is all you'll ever do. This is all you'll ever accomplish. It's what I tell you can accomplish. But because of Christmas, because of Christmas, we have something to stand on call the word of the Lord and the name of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about your tomorrows now because God's got you in his hand. It doesn't matter about your past now, Rahab. It doesn't matter, Ruth, about the fact that you don't belong. And it doesn't matter, Bathsheba, that you've messed up in your life. God said, because I sent my son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to put you in a lineage. Some people, you know, some people bother me. I read a book one time about an old boy that told dog stories, and he said, the more I know about dogs, the less I like people. Dogs are so low, but we are so quick to judge one another. While I was going through the litany of these women today, some of you said, oh, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. That's not me. Oh, God, that's not me. But every one of us find ourselves in one of those women. Every one of us find ourselves. When God found you, you was ugly. When God found you, you were not perfect. When God found you, you were in a sin hole that was as large as Austin, Texas. But because of his grace and his mercy, you're here today. You're here today. You're here today. Would somebody say preach, pastor, right now? Would somebody say preach? Hallelujah. I promise you. There is no depth of sin. There is no height of transgression. There is no width of problems in your life. There is no pain that is too great that the Jesus that was born this season cannot come into your life and change it and make you beautiful in the sight of the Lord. I close, Randy, if you'll help me. Yeah, I did pretty good. When I wrote this sermon out, it was too long. And I was trying my best to finish it. So I told some of the staff yesterday, I said, I just need to read my sermon. But when you get to talking about how great God is, you can't read that stuff. You have to preach it. I want everybody to know something. Randy, I want you to start that little course, Oh, the Blood of Jesus, that washes white as snow. I want everybody to listen to me now as I close today. Everybody listen to me. Every, every time you show up this church this month, we're going to open that mirror. The Word of God is the mirror of the Lord. We're going to open it up and we're going to show you who you are in God. Amen. And we want you to shut your ears to the, to the noise of the song of the siren. 
that's trying to get you off this old gospel ship. We want you to plug your ears with wax. Whatever you have to do, quit listening to the voice of hell that says you'll never achieve what that church is preaching you can't achieve. But there's something powerful about the blood of Jesus. We were not purchased with precious things like silver and gold. But we were purchased by the precious blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And when the Lord looks down on you, he don't see you the way that hell accuses you. And he don't see you the way that people that look at you accuse you to be. He sees you as a child of God bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's a no fishing sign on that blood. And you're underneath that blood. And you're covered by the blood of Jesus. That's why God doesn't do perfect. But when we're covered by the blood, he sure does do pretty. He sure does do pretty. Stand all over the house. I want you to join hands with one another here right now. This is my Christmas sermon to you. The next time I'll be preaching on Sunday will be Christmas Day. So I told Patty, she said, baby, you ought to save that for Christmas Day. When I told her what I was going to preach, I said, no, no. I said, I want to share it to people that are facing this whole holiday season. And I want you to know you don't have to be lonely. You don't have to wrestle with your past. You don't have to worry about your future. You don't have to feel like that you've messed up once in your life, twice in your life, and there's no hope for you. You can stand here with unfulfilled promises and say, God still got something great for me. I will. I will be beautiful in his eyes. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Would you sing it? Oh. that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.